This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm your host, and we are on to another episode. Before we start, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, you're getting a lot out of it, Please support The Addicted Mind by leaving us a review in iTunes or Google or wherever you get your podcast. That really does help the podcast get a lot of exposure. And I really appreciate it. And it means a lot to me to read those reviews and know that The Addicted Mind podcast is supportive and helpful to everyone listening. And if you want to continue the conversation online, join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in The Addicted Mind podcast and click join. So today our guest is Lee Lamy, and he is a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner with a background in various settings, including oncology, psychiatry, veterans affairs, and medical surgical nursing. He studied in Amsterdam before continuing his studies in the United Kingdom and has worked as a registered nurse. He's also a U.S. Air Force veteran, and ultimately, he is very passionate about human behavior and helping others improve their mental well-being. And today, we are going to talk about his book, The Theory and Practice of Well-Being, Your Comprehensive and Actionable Guide to the Good Life. So in this interview, Lee talks about his personal experience working in both sides of this field, working on the medical side and the mental health side, and how that all came together to create a guide to help people live their best life, to really live the good life, to find well-being. And as he says in the interview, Lee, much like myself, is an optimist that change is possible. And he talks about the roadmap towards that change. I think you'll get a lot out of this episode. I can tell that Lee has a lot of wisdom and experience in the field of change. So I hope you enjoy it. All right, let's go ahead and start this episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. Today, my guest is Lee Lamy. And we're going to talk about all things around well-being and living the good life. And Lee, why don't you start and introduce yourself and let us get to know you. And then we're going to go into your book about all of that and talk about it and what it means and all of your wisdom. Thank you, Duane. And good morning. Thank you for having me. Who am I? I am a psychiatric nurse practitioner for many, many years now in, in different settings worked in 
the medical field before that as a med surgeon nurse and was once a humanities student. Have worked very hard on putting all of that accumulated experience and wisdom into my book, The Theory and Practice of Well-Being, which I would say is meant for people to find solutions to the things that they're feeling held back on, feeling pushed down on, feeling trapped by. But before you can do that, you really have to sort of have a clear understanding of what well-being is, as you know, most people will have a different understanding or struggle to understand what that is. So that's the first part of the book is trying to to get a real clear idea of what are we talking about? What is well-being? Yeah, what what does that mean? And how do we know we're in well-being? And how do we know we're not? Usually it's people know when they're not. Right. Um, those are often that. the people that I'm dealing with. And in my work, people can come, I can see people in any one of the diagnoses in the DSM. And the whole point of the visit is we need to find solutions. So this right. is this is my book about offering solutions. It's an opportunity to find those solutions. And we start with asking the question, like, how did we get here? Who am I and how did I get here? And that's a big question, right? Right, yeah. That has to do with what I talk about as our habitual conditioning, the habits of the heart, the things that we learn growing up, they get baked in. We call, you know, we'd say they get consolidated, which means they're there and we kind of forget about them, but they're certainly there and they're driving our thinking. They're driving our behavior, our feelings, and we kind of are like, "Eh, I'm not really sure what that is. So there's a process in the book to open that up and look at it in a very systematic way. It involves looking at our beliefs, our values, our attitudes, our assumptions, our rules, because this is the real meat of who we are and how we live. And these are the things that can hold us back and become obstacles for us. Um. We also look at personality considerations, the big five, openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism, which people may not always want to talk about that. We look at attachment because of our experience with our caregiver. For most people, that's our parents. Do we tend to have a more anxious attachment or a more distant attachment or something mixed with both of them? And how do we bring that to our our life and how does that keep us back or down? And then, you know, if we are at a place where we want to start looking at that and start working at that, how do we get to well-being and what that is? And I, I talk about we have to have that clarity so that we can have that resilience, that we can have that you know, I talk about an upward flow against life's adversity, right? So if we have life pushing down on us, we need something to push back up. And with that, right. we need to have confidence and clarity. Yeah, and, and understanding our habitual patterns that we may not even know because a lot of the stuff we do is so unconscious that we have to bring those to the surface so we can adjust them or change them or move them. And so We do that, I guess, what you're saying in all of these domains, and they're part of that. One of the questions I have for you as as we get into this, your experience that got you to this place to write this book in the first place, because 
You're a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. You said you worked in the hospitals. You've seen a ton of people and you've seen their suffering, I would imagine. I think any of us who work in the in the health field, especially the mental health field, see that and we get a lot of learnings from that. And so I want to know a little bit about your story of coming to this book and getting this knowledge and, and putting it together. Thank you, Duane. I appreciate that question. You know, it is when you work in healthcare, whether that's on the, the medical, physical side of the house or the, the mental health side of the house, it seems like they're always interacting. When I worked on the floors in the hospital on the medical, physical side of the house, it seems like every interaction wasn't just physical or medical. There was always a mental health aspect to it. Yeah. You know, in my mind, there is absolutely no doubt of the mind-body connection. And you can see that every time you have an interaction with a patient. And then on the mental health side, it's the same thing. There's, you can hardly have an interaction without also talking about physical or medical health as well. You know, and I, I, I would say I'm naturally curious, naturally wanting to know answers and naturally seeking. So I've always had an interest in what makes people tick. What motivates people? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? And how do we make sense of that? Right. So I've had that from a very early age, and that's sort of driven a lot of my exploring, a lot of my you know doing humanities and wanting to know about the the great ideas of humanity and you know why does that make a difference and you know living in Europe and being abroad and seeing how other people live and what are those differences and then seeing part of the book talks about how our habitual conditioning, we project that onto our body. And that's part of that physical yeah. piece that I saw when I was working in the, the medical physical side of the house. Right. I don't think we often give a lot of thought to that, but I, you know, to me it makes perfect sense that if we have this habitual conditioning about our beliefs, values, attitudes, assumptions, and rules, and we, we know we project, we project things onto outside, we project things inside, makes sense to me that we're going to project that onto our body. I would Im imagine that having that experience, having the experience of both those sides of it, seeing people in a very physical state and working with them in a, in a physical capacity, and then also having that experience of working them with them in the mental health field and seeing those two things I want to say kind of collide together and that they're really one piece. I would imagine like doing that, you get that experience and you start to see the connection that if that a person who maybe is only on one side of the equation doesn't get the opportunity to see how those sides interact with each other. Absolutely. And, you know, part of it, I think, is the way things are organized. Things are, you know, if you go into a hospital, it's probably going to be very biomedical. It's it's just set up that way. It's compartmentalized into specialities. Right. And one speciality may come in and do a workup. They might do full medical workups. And typically what happens if they're not able to find a medical reason for something, they call psychiatry. Right. And the assumption is there's something going on with mental health. It's like they're really separated, and maybe they shouldn't be. They're very separated. We can say maybe they shouldn't be. It's a big piece of information. Um, I, yeah. I would certainly love it if we had people that felt 
qualified and experienced to deal with the whole piece, the whole big picture. Uh, I, I don't see a lot of that because it's, you know, we have so much information nowadays that we do specialize, you know, in our very yeah. small areas. But, I, you know, I've, I've had the benefit of seeing a broad view of that. And then when we go in, in in psychiatry and pick it up for, oh, we haven't found a medical reason for that, then we have to go deeper, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we'd say something like, we see that you're, you're suffering, that you have challenges, and maybe we need to find another reason for why that's happening, which can also be an opportunity. It can be very challenging, but it can also be an opportunity as well. Right. So what I hear you saying is that when I think about it, those things are kind of circular, like the mind-body connection. The mind impacts the body, the body impacts the mind, and they flow together. And being able to see that from that bigger perspective of how they all work together. Absolutely. If we just think of just one idea, one concept that's become more popular, probably in the last... 15 years or so is we hear more and more about this idea of inflammation in the body and if we think about the 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 gi tract the stomach and the intestines everything that's involved with that if if we're putting in stuff that disrupts the gi tract if we think of, you know, if we want to think of a metaphor, like do, is our GI tract more like the, the vacant derelict lot, or is it more like the, the lush verdant garden? Right. Um, and what's happening with all the, the sort of the tissues and the cells inside of there. If it's the, the sort of vacant derelict lot, there's a, a thing called dysbiosis where you have gut leakage, you have that inflammation process and that spreads out throughout the body, goes to the brain, goes to other parts of the body that can affect mental health, that can affect your mood, that can affect anxiety. And that's, you could argue that's a direct result of mental health. That's a direct result of our beliefs and our values and our attitudes and our assumptions and our rules that we're probably not aware of. Right. So when we're looking at the the, the practice of well-being, that means that we have to we have to change something. We have to change these habitual responses, these habitual behaviors to create something different that promotes well-being and living in the good life. Absolutely. And I, you know, I'll be one of the first persons to say that's that's easier said than done because yeah, there's the momentum, well. right? There's the momentum of our habitual conditioning. This is what we know, right? And we have that inertia, we have that momentum moving forward and it takes work it takes a concerted effort if you were to ask me like why do people change i would say "Mm, typically there are only two reasons one is pressure or pain and the other one is inspiration or insight and hopefully we're changing because of insight or inspiration but sometimes we're changing because of pain and pressure and that's why we you know we'll look at these things and do the work, stand up to that momentum of our habitual conditioning. And it's also the the good news of that is that it's empowering, right? Thank goodness that we have the opportunity to do that. Thank goodness that we have the hope of change, right? Because if not, then there's really no talking about mental health. We're just sort of um, rudderless at sea. But thank goodness, I would say we have the hope. We have the hope of making that change when we make that decision, when we decide, yes, I want to do that. And I would say, yes, we can do that. That's the start of 
good long hard work, but worth it. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Yeah, worth it. And I would imagine, I'm just imagining you working with these individuals. And that's the reason you would write this book is because you've seen it take place. You've seen change happen. And now putting it into a theory, a way of doing it, you know, putting the pieces together to say like, this person did it, you can do it too. Yes. You know, I do address that in the book of like the repeated experience of seeing people get better. And then the sort of puzzling that out, it's like some people are getting better and some people are not. And what's that all about? Yeah. And the gratification, right? The gratification of seeing that. And the longer you do it, the more sort of predictable of like, well, let's let's look at this. Let's work on this. And then seeing people get better. There's a thing that I call the lobby view. It's like when we used to, now in the pandemic, we're mostly doing video visits. But before you go to the lobby and you'd see somebody you haven't seen in a few weeks. Right. And you see that their their facial musculature has changed. It's more relaxed. It's brighter. It's lighter. It's like, wow, something has changed. And then they, you yeah. come in and you you proceed with the appointment and they tell you like the things that have changed. And that is very gratifying. People will say like, I don't know how, how you can do psychiatry. It seems really depressing. And like you're dealing with all of that um, hard stuff. And I'd say, yeah, yeah. Um, it scares a lot of people. But man, is it gratifying when you see people change. Yeah, absolutely. And isn't it gratifying when you see people change physically? And you know, this is a, a podcast, The Addicted Mind. Isn't it gratifying to see people do that recovery work and recover themselves, right? Isn't yeah, that a it's, powerful, it's, powerful it's thing? It's so inspiring. And, you know, I've never wanted to be part of the problem. I wanted to be part of the solution. And I just feel like I got to get this information out there because I don't think a lot of people know it. You know, and, and talking to colleagues along the way, colleagues would say to me like, oh, you have a, a good way of talking about these things. You have a good way of making them clear, making them you, teaching. And I never thought of myself as being an author, but it just sort of dawned on me like people need to know these things. I know these things. I've, I've seen the, you know, the power of this, the, you know, how that works. Let's get it out there, right? Let's, let's do our best to get it out there. So hence the book. Right. Like put it in a way in which people can make it actionable. Exactly. I think that's what's so important. And I think what your book does is it really helps to break that down in a way that is, it's easy, it's easier to understand these very complex ideas that have come out of a lot of research and study and, and history and put them into an actionable direction. And this was my goal. Like I didn't, you know, I'm when I go to conferences or what we call grand rounds where we're getting new information, it tends to be very academic. Some people would say alphabet soup. It's, you know, it can be very arcane. And I wanted to avoid that. So on the one hand, I feel like I'm getting this information plus my own experience. There's a thing that's 
clinical based research where it's like you keep doing the same thing and seeing the the patterns over and over and over again <clears throat> that's the information that i wanted to get across in a very sort of digestible down to earth pragmatic way that people can do something with it and it's like i'm not <laughs> i'm not exactly sure what somebody's saying here but i wanted people to have something that they could work with and this is what you can do with it right okay who cares these are ideas but what can you do with it Right. How can this right. actually make your life better? That's, you know, that's where the rubber hits the road. Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, this is great information, but if we can't do something with it or change that suffering, you know, it's kind of like, what's the point? Let's, let's make something of this. Absolutely. So in mental health, it's, you know, you can spend a lot of time on insight, which is great, but if you don't do anything with it, if you don't change your behavior, what, you have a lot what's of the point? <laughs> yeah. You could you still be suffering with a lot of insight. You could be very clear on your insight and still be suffering. And yeah, you have to absolutely. implement that. You have to implement that, right? And that's that's also the empowering part is that you can do that. Is being able to start to take that action to move forward. One of the things that you mentioned a little bit before from your experience is is seeing these patterns over and over in the patients that you see, the clients that you see, and being able to put that pattern together and say, and and do something with that pattern and say, look, uh, this you're not the only one that has gone through this experience in this way. Although you are, your experience is unique. It's also very similar. Yes, I, I would say human. Right. Having lived in human. several countries and practically everywhere in the States, it's human people. <laughs> people may express themselves differently, but underneath that, there's some similarity, right? There are those patterns that you will see, which lends itself to predictability. And it also lends itself, you know, part of the, the subtitle is comprehensive, right? This is like womb to tomb, cradle to grave, something, a framework that you can use as you progress through life, some people would, you know, say that sort of fancy term of your narrative arc, which is basically your story as you progress through life. And that's an important part of the book as well. It's like, why are we doing all these things? It allows us to live our best life and to, to really become aware of what our important contributions are, what our unique and important contributions are. And that's that leads to that deeper that deeper meaning and purpose and gets us to that place of, of well-being when we're living in that purpose and we understand what that is. We have a direction, but it's hard to get that direction when we have all of these habits that kind of keep us away from that. And, and that's a part of the book as well. So mental health, physical health, we can work on mental health, but a lot of times what we're still hearing are these existential concerns, these existential distress of like, who am I? What am I here to do? What is my purpose and my meaning? And I think a lot of times mental health is lacking in that area. Probably recovery, the recovery field is is more at home, more adept, more comfortable with that. So the thing I talk about in the book are these foundational concepts that you need to have, I would say, in order to forward your own sense of well-being. And the first is appreciating your um, sense of personal worth, 
And I would say that has to be intrinsic, not external. We can't be looking to external things to secure that. They might be nice, you know, in addition to, but foundationally we need something intrinsic, like our worth is assured just intrinsically. It's unshakable and it is full, right? And right. people struggle with that. People struggle with that all the time. But when you get that clear, that can be very powerful. Um, the next A I would say is agency, which means that we can make choices. Thank right. goodness we can make choices because if we can't make choices, we have no hope. And when we use that agency, we can have autonomy, which means we're adults and we can run and live our own lives and we have choices. Great. We can make great choices, but we also have to own our choices, right? Because we're autonomous people. And when we have this sense of personal worth and we have agency and we have ability, I'm sorry, when we have autonomy, that leads us to the fourth A, which is ability, which is confidence, which is I can do this, which is empowering. And a lot of people feel disempowered. A lot of people feel like things outside of themselves determine things for them. Some things in life do, but a lot of things don't. And I would say that's crucial that we become really clear on that, the things that we do have control over, um, the serenity prayer, right? The things we have control over, things right. we don't. And then the final A is aim. And this is all about purpose and meaning. Who am I and why am I here? What am I to do? What sort of important contribution do I have in life to make? And that can be very motivating when we get clear on that. So knowing where we are, knowing where we're going. Yeah, that's a very strong sense yeah. of well-being. It's like if I know all those things and I know where I'm going and what I'm supposed to be doing, that's powerful. That answers a lot of questions. But, you know, when I hear that, I, I could imagine somebody listening and just feeling overwhelmed by all of those. Because in the beginning, having, you know, I, I'm not worthy. Look, look, I've lived my life in addiction. I've done all these horrible things. I've made all these horrible choices. How, how can I get past that? How can I move beyond that in, into all these yeah. other ideas and get an aim? I think that's coming to terms. I talk about guilt or shame in the book. Guilt or shame are meant to be short term right? They're meant to motivate us to action. And we can get stuck yeah. in chronic guilt or shame. That's not good for our well-being. That's telling us something. We're getting stuck. There's something going on that we need to work on. And I think the anecdote to that is renewal, right? Do we believe in renewal? Do we believe that we can start fresh? And at some point, that's that's a, a work inside of ourselves where we have to come to acceptance and we have to forgive ourselves if we want well-being, right. if we want recovery. And I think part of it, you know, if you're using the AA model, going through the whole moral inventory and making amends and doing all those steps, right? I think that ties into the renewal piece of cleaning house of... You know, and if you've yeah. if you've burned bridges and lost trust and respect with people, that can be very hard to rebuild. But I would say you absolutely can, and I have absolutely seen it over and over and over again. Yeah, and I think that's the beauty of having the experience of working in the in this field is that you you know it's true 
because you've seen it over and over. You know it's hard work and it's not easy, but it's like you can hold that belief for them until they can get there. I can be optimistic for people. I sometimes tell them that, like, I'm optimistic for you. Yeah. And I will be next to you. I won't do it for you. You have to do it yourself. That's part of the gratification for yourself and growing into that. And, you know, I would say that stopping the momentum and transforming your habitual conditioning takes work and it takes time, but it's absolutely worth it. And it's very empowering and it's very gratifying. Right. And it highlights the best of humanity. That's what I would say, which I think is also a recovery thing, too. We're, we're highlighting the best and that we can live life with well-being, but we have to do the work. It's not going to be handed to you. Yeah. And I think like w what you're saying is having an actionable guide to help you there because we can get so lost in all of our habits, our feelings, our emotions, our beliefs that it's not possible, that we don't even know where to start. And we just get lost there. Well, I do use the the parable or the analogy or the metaphor of of the the boat the boat in the large body of water which could be an ocean or you know a big lake um, or a sea and we might think that we're driftless and aimless and that we have no possibilities but if we look around and we realize that we have a sail or a motor or even oars or maybe if we go down in the hall and we realize that there are books down there that tell us how to set up the sail or turn on the motor or get some gas or how to row, that gives us some agency, very practical agency and autonomy. And then we have to figure out, like, where are we going? What's our destiny? So we're back to aim. But it is about bringing these things into awareness and getting more clarity. And you also talk, you, you talk about those three domains, the physical, the mental, and the spiritual, right? And when, I, and when I hear you talking about AIM, I'm thinking of that spiritual component. Can you talk about that a little bit too and how you address that part? Well, you know, I address that we hear a lot about holism, holistic care. And in my experience, my reality, that we don't see that a whole lot, right? Because in the medical field, the mental health field, it tends to be biomedical. We talk about tissue, numbers. We kind of shy away from talking about <laughs> consciousness or spirituality. In those, you know, I say in the book, like, I have no interest, I have no need to proselytize any particular view. But I do know that spirituality is a, a very important thing for a lot of people. And I present the questions to grapple with, right? Where are you coming from, either spiritual or non-spiritual? And how does that help you secure the five A's? Appreciating your self-worth, agency, autonomy, ability, and aim. And people come will come at that in different ways. But I think as a minimum... While you're grappling with that, I would I would present those foundational aspects as a place to get started. And I think recovery work often often has to do with spiritual kind of work, especially like on the AA side of the house. Or right. like refuge recovery, that's probably a different kind of spirituality. 
So it's, it's you know, how, how do you conceive of humanity? What does that mean, right? And how do we secure these things? How do we secure our well-being? And I think, you know, a lot of people grapple with that. A lot of people struggle. It's a challenge. Yeah, it's a complicated issue because I, I really believe it's it's kind of a felt sense. It helps us see the bigger picture that we we see the the world from this larger perspective and i i think that helps us see our place in the universe in a, in a spiritual way i guess that's the way that's the way i would describe it but however we do that through whatever belief system we have but it creates that idea that there's more than this that we're just a piece in this in this cascade of of events that we don't understand the universe we don't we know some about, but we don't know all about it. It's bigger than we are. Yes. And I would say, you know, back to the aim piece of like making our important contributions, I would say we each have an important piece of that, right? If you think of a, a tapestry, yeah. you stand back and look at that and you're like, wow, that's really beautiful. And then you think that's all these individual threads <laughs> working together and creating something bigger. And each thread has an important part of that. And I would also imagine that for many people, when they've had a lot of maybe trauma in their life and addiction, that it's hard to see that their thread is important, that they have something to give here, that there's something amazing about their humanity, yet they can feel so lost because of trauma, because of mm -hmm. these events in their life that maybe from a very young age told that, no, you're not worth anything, you know, those kind of traumas. And, and I think about that. And I, I think about how hard that might be for someone to believe that statement that, yeah, you have an important part to play here. Absolutely. I would say that might be a soft way of expressing it, but it, I would say somebody has been mistaught and misguided. And probably a stronger way of saying that is the, the sense of self, the ego strength has been crushed. It's been shattered. Yeah. But I, I'm an optimist. I, I think there's something still there. I think you can talk about the invisible line in life that I, I just see people that in spite of, you know, really difficult traumas, there's a part, there's a piece of resilience that brings them through. And they often don't see it until they look back, but they yeah. get through. Sometimes it's amazing, the stuff that people can go through. And if you ask them, like, how did you do that? And they're like, I don't know. But it's like, there's something there. There's an invisible line that's pulling you through on that. And some people would, you know, put that on the spiritual side of the house. Some people would, you know, be more philosophical. Some people are more practical, like, you made it. You got through. And I'm the optimist. I, I'm doing this because I believe people can change for the better and that that's very gratifying for them and to see it happen too right that is like incredible yeah and that you you know like with your experience you know it happens you've seen it you see people get to the other side and start to manifest those principles in their life and they fall into that framework and their life is now so different. And like you said, they show up into the waiting room and you can see it in their face before you even talk to them. You see the change 
And as as a mental health professional working in in the helping profession, I think I'm also a, an eternal optimist. Some people say that to me, but you know, when you see it, you're like, you're like, I've seen it. I know you could do it. Go out there. Come on. Like, you just got to switch these things slowly over time. It's hard, but do it. It's so worth it. Absolutely. So, you know, as far as like recovery work, I talk about impeding patterns in the book. It's a triad of passivity, rigidity, and chaos. And I would say if somebody's in the throes, <laughs> full up destruction of some sort of dependence, whether that's a physical dependence or a process addiction, <laughs> all three of those impeding patterns are most likely going to be full throttle. Right, a sense of yep. chaos, a sense of pass, and by passivity I mean like feeling disempowered, feeling like you can't do anything, and the rigidity of like I can't change, I'm not going to change. I, uh. Right. But then, and perhaps you've had this experience when you've seen somebody who's done their recovery work and have been stable for a very long time. It's it's the difference is amazing, right? Yeah. To see oh, that absolutely, to see that result, that power in their life. That's well-being, right? Yes. They're well That's on their a, way to well-being. Yeah. And they can feel it and they know it and you know it. And it's an understanding that you now share because they see it. They're on the other side of all of that. And as a helping professional, if you've been able to get to the other side as well, you see it and it's a, it's a knowing that this is possible. And then I think that's, a lot of that is just contagious to give to somebody else, right? It's so good. You can't hold on to it. You don't want to hold on to it. There's a natural desire to give it to others. I think that's part of what I hear you saying is like in writing this book is like, I have this and I, I want other people to have it too. Absolutely. Uh, I would say it's my gift of like having experienced this and being in the place where I can pass that on. Yeah. And I was going to just follow up, like somebody that stable recovery that they, you know, you see, you, you can, when you've done this work, you just, you see them and you, you recognize it pretty yeah. quickly. Then if you assess them about the triad of um, passivity, chaos, and rigidity, you, you get a much different picture. And that's yeah. empowering. That's empowering. And that feeds that whole, like, you can do this, right? There's another life out there available. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, yeah, it's contagious. You just want to give it away. I get excited when, when we start to talk about this because I know people might out, out there might be listening and really feel like they're in those, those three domains and really stuck. And I'm, here's a roadmap for you. You know, it's a guide, take it, use it, go add your beauty to the world. I love that you talk about roadmap. I love that you talk about being a guide. That's how I've thought about it myself as well. This is the roadmap. Yeah. I can be a guide, but you have to take the path. You have to take the voyage. You have to make that yeah. decision. You have yeah. to agree to that. You have to find that motivation. And hopefully that's inspiration or insight, but sometimes, unfortunately, that's pain and pressure as well. Yeah, it can be, can be, it can be either. So we're coming up on our time. There's okay. one question I like to ask before we, we end the interview. And it's if someone out there is listening and maybe they're stuck in these patterns and these beliefs 
in these domains, what, if you could tell them what one thing, what would you want to tell them? First thing I would be is like, read the book. <laughs> All right. The first thing I'd, I'd want to say. And then you're probably going to have to figure out like, can I do this on my own with support? Can I do this in some kind of recovery work, whether that's AA or smart recovery or refuge recovery or something else? You know, the National Association of Mental Illness is a good um, online support. Or is it to a degree, so mild to moderate, you can probably do it on your own, moderate to severe, you're probably going to need some help, whether that's like a rehab or intensive outpatient or partial hospitalization, that you need some help, somebody next to you helping you. Sometimes that's that's a therapist, right? Sometimes, yeah. you know, finding a good fit with somebody that you feel safe and comfortable with can be work as well. But the, you know, yeah. the main thing is initially is that you're safe and that you you see a path somehow, however slow and hard that might be. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Lee, so much for coming on. Where where can people find you if they want more information about you and your book? And where can they find that? They can go to LinkedIn and look at my profile there on LinkedIn. All right. Awesome. I will do that. And I'll also link to your book in the show notes at theaddictedmind.com. That's the theory and practice of well-being, your comprehensive and actionable guide to the good life. Go check it out. I think it's a really important tool in this journey. So I encourage everybody to check that out. Lee, thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast. I really appreciate it. Dwayne, it's been a pleasure and thank you so much for having me. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. All the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com as usual. So you can check it out there and check out Lee's book. And if you got a lot out of this episode, share it with a friend. All right, everyone, have a wonderful rest of your day. And I'm going to talk to you on the next episode. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.